politics and dystopia. Ladies, gents, and everything in between. Listen to A. Thompson. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of your favorite uplifting, life-affirming podcast, uh, Abe Thompson and Other Disappointments. I'm your host, Abe Thompson, and join me once again now as I try to make sense of the senseless and indeed attempt to navigate the chaos and insanity of modern life, love, the universe politics dystopia all of that stuff um if it's your first time listening welcome welcome grab yourself a beer roll yourself a bifter <laughs> whatever it is that you need to help the medicine go down because that is what this is isn't it you know this this show is a uh, a sobering chip pissing flower stamping dose of reality uh, let's be honest, you, you probably need. Because if you're like anyone else in the country, or indeed in the Western world, then you probably spend the rest of your life in a sort of a fantasy that everything's fine and we're not all going to die in a combustible cloud of climate change, nuclear war, pandemics and Sam Smith videos. Um, anyway, let's... Uh, Let's get into this. Or maybe actually before we do, I should probably promote the uh, the live show that we're doing. So it's me, Danny Price, Super Tansky, Marina Perkis, uh, James Benison. Who else have we got on? Dane Baptiste. It's going to be a hell of a night, guys. It's on Friday the 10th of November. So if you're listening to this before the 10th of November, you can still get tickets if you go to funk-27.co.uk forward slash shows. There's a link in there. Also, you know what? If you're enjoying two or three episodes of this podcast, if you're a long-time listener, uh, never been a better time to jump on the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. And as I've said before, you get episodes of the podcast two days before everyone else, before the heathens of Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. So you're two days ahead of them. You also get access to the Discord chats. I'm in there most days, you know, pop in there. We talk about what I've been talking about on the show, but also whatever's in the news and our thoughts, feelings about it. Um, you get an RSS feed where you can plumb the episodes that come to you two days ahead of schedule. They, You can plumb it straight into your Spotify or into your Apple podcast player. So it's still in the same, but like you don't need your own special Patreon podcast player. Although Patreon does have a play facility on it uh, if you need it. Uh, you also get named and shamed at the end of episodes like this or credited. Some people call it credited, but I I like to think I'm sort of, you know, toxifying names by my association with them uh, at the end of each show. Um, and we're doing live in-person meetups. I've done two of them already in Brick Lane in London. Uh, if you're around these parts, the southeast London sort of way, um, the next one, I'm not sure when I'm going to do it. I guess I should do it at Christmas sort of time. Um, but yeah, we meet up in Brick Lane. We talk about politics. We have a few jars, bit of a laugh. Uh, so if all of that sounds like your bag, don't be a stranger. Jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Uh, right. Where where was I? Um, I? I didn't do a show on Friday night. I was supposed to be interviewing Star B, uh, who's been on the show before as a guest. And she's a really lovely lady. Um, very left-leaning, um, but now she's sort of recently, over the last year or two, she's pivoted into, like, adult content. So she's a really interesting character. And I was really excited about talking to her again. Um, and then on Friday morning, oh, my God, I just came down with the worst, like, head cold, <laughs> cough, spluttery. I was so, like, lightheaded and achy and weak. It felt like the flu. It felt like I was coming down with covid or something. I just, I looked like patient zero. I was just like oozing from every orifice. Just, oh, yeah. I looked like the guy at the, like the end of Robocop, you know, where he like falls in the vat of acid or like the acid sort of goes all in. He's just like stumbling around. Help me, man. Like that was, that's me after 30 minutes of man flu. And my long suffering 
impatient girlfriend just going, oh my God, would you just go to bed? It's not that, it's a cold. You just man the fuck up. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel very well. Anyway, so I, it takes a lot for me to cancel a podcast, to cancel something that I love doing. Um, and I do love doing it because, like, I get such... It's so restrictive, like, being parents and having full-time jobs and, and all of that jazz. When you do actually get an hour to yourself to come out into the cabin and talk to somebody interesting... and Not that my kids and girlfriend aren't interesting. They're very interesting. But I'm just saying, you know, it's nice to have a bit of me time. That is precious to me. I really, like, that's my me time to regain my sanity. And so for me to then, like, relatively last minute contact a guest and go I can't do it I'm just in pieces over here (laughs) I felt really bad but she was really understanding about it so um so yeah so there was that and then you know like the week before and I've had this throat thing but anyway now I'm back I'm feeling good had my throat examined last week blood test results are sort of in progress um the blood test thing is kind of weird because like, so I was, I've, I've bored you guys with this sort of information uh, mostly, but I'll just give you a quick update. So uh, the throat thing has been like ongoing and it hasn't really repaired itself for a while. And so I, st- I went to the, get a blood test to check that, you know, there's no signs of throat cancer or, or something weird and horrible. Um, anyway, the GP and now this throat examination guy have sort of ruled all of that out uh, or, or as much as they can do. Um but the blood test result, the first blood test, I get this text message through saying, we'd like to book you for a follow-up blood test. And this is like quarter past six on a Friday. And I'm like, well, 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 hang on a second. What does this mean? Like, what, what have you found? And they're like, oh, I can't, I can't tell you. I'm not medically trained. So I can't, I can't tell you what it, what, what it is that they found. And I'm just like, oh, well, thanks a lot. You know, last minute on a Friday. Now I'm going to be laying awake all weekend worrying about what it is that you found. And then it says, um, but also you need to speak, like book in a conversation with your GP or like your person or other to talk about your cholesterol level. And I'm like, my cholesterol level? Oh, well, there's, here's a brand new thing to worry about. Aren't I lucky? Really loading up on this. Now, so I spent a week worrying about my cholesterol. You know, like if, if whatever this throat thing is doesn't kill me, maybe I'll die of a heart attack. Which one of those is going to win the race? I'm wondering. So anyway, I'm worrying about this all, all through the week. I've, I switched over from sugars to sweeteners. I didn't touch pizza or like, um, you know, cheese toasties. I get very passionate about my cheese toasties. I didn't touch any of that stuff. I had the most miserable week with coffee and total lack of alcohol. Still haven't had any alcohol. No sugar in my coffee. No cheese. No, all of that. No McDonald's, none of it. Just sat there, miserable, worrying about if I'm going to have a heart attack or something. And then I get this call through saying, oh, yeah, I, I don't know why they said you about like your, your cholesterol. Like, I've, I've just double checked the results. And yeah, you're un, you're under the threshold. You, you got the same reading as you had in 2019 when we last took it. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm like, are you out of your fucking like, are you kidding? I've just spent the last week worrying about this. Like, I'm going to have a coronary. And you're like, oh. I, I guess somebody messed up the test results. <laughs> Whoops. Like, uh-huh. Okay, well, thanks for calling. Anyway, so now I'm sort of back and uh, I think, you know, touch wood, I think I'm okay. Um, anyway, let's let's get into this. That's enough of an intro. Bring you up to speed on all things me and the podcast and the Patreon and the live shows. Let's do some news, shall we? So... There's a story that emerged on Sky News uh, that I wanted to talk about last week. And um, I just I didn't get a chance because somebody cancelled the show. And and, uh, anyway, but there's a story on on Sky News and it's it's a weird one. Okay, set your your expectations to weird here for a second, because it is it's going to be an icky area to explore. But we don't shy away from awkward conversations on this show, do we, dear listeners? It's a weird one. So it harks back to the early days of this podcast, I guess. But like back when we used to talk a lot about technology and automation and UBI 
You know, like, what are we going to do, guys? In 10 years, when all the jobs will be gone. And, uh, you know, just Amazon and Apple and it'll just be Facebook. And, and you know, they're going to have to pay enough tax to support everyone else's basic income, right? It'll be like the big tech conglomerates paying the tax and everyone will just be on UBI. Or, like, that's the utopian version. The dystopian version is that we're just going to collapse into some sort of tale of two cities nightmare. You know, where huge chunks of the country will just exist, just rotting in squalor, you know, while the privileged few over here get sucked off by the new eye sex spot range or something like that. That's the two options. The utopian version, which is, you know, sort of where I hope we're headed, where big conglomerates are taxed effectively. And then that goes towards supporting the rest of society or, you know, big conglomerates really don't like paying tax. And so then they don't. And then there's not enough money to support the rest of society. And it all collapses into awfulness. That was the fear. That was the theory that we used to play with on this show in the very, very early days. That was the vibe. Um, in fact, the original version of this podcast before I sort of actually like fully just changed it and then relaunched and, and everything. And this is really going back, um, back to before I was in any way confident about putting out a podcast with just me talking on it. The origin story, if you like, for this show, it used to be like a 30 minute thing where I would, I basically, I would walk around my local park, right? Like a madman, walk, in, walk around my local park, just talking into my phone, you know? hypothesizing about how bad our dystopia could get you know and then i would just have that as the audio and then upload and, and that podcast was literally called a robot took my job right little history lesson for you there um anyway look as as i've said on the last couple of shows this podcast is now no longer a sort of fantastical dystopia thing you know it's become current affairs because the scary stuff is actually here now you know i used to talk about what, what's going to happen when deep fakes meet democracy and, and all that well now we've had in the last couple of weeks we've had deep fakes of keir starmer soon we're gonna have them of biden and trump and i would be gobsmacked if we don't see some grubby fucking deep fake fuckery from Team Sunak in the upcoming general election. You know, both ours and, and the one overseas with Trump-Biden. But now, anyway, also, you know, now that I've set the scene for you, tech dystopia, um, now we have this Sky News story that surfaced late last week. Um, so here's the headline. Um, it says, Pedophiles are using AI to de-age celebrities and nudify fully clothed children. Just take that in for a minute. It's a weird fucking news story. Pedophiles are using AI to de-age celebrities and also nudify fully clothed children. So yeah, let's, let's get straight into this weirdness. Now, the future is here, apparently. So... Here's a little bit of the article, right? Um, Thousands of AI-generated images depicting child abuse have been shared on a dark web forum. New research has found about 3,000 AI images of child abuse were shared on the site in September, while uh, with 564 depicting the most serious kind of imagery, including rape, sexual torture and bestiality. Uh, of the images, 1,300 depicted children between the ages of 7 and 10 years old, according to research by the Internet Watch Foundation. Um, the charity said the most convincing images would even be difficult for trained analysts to distinguish from photographs and warned the text-to-image technology will only get better, making it harder for the police and other law enforcement to protect children. Uh, it goes on. Some images depict real children whose faces and bodies were used to train the AI models, 
which the charity has decided not to name. Okay, so that's real children there. In other cases, the models were used to nudify children based on fully clothed images of them uploaded online. So these are real children who were clothed, but then they've used AI to nudify them, to, to strip them, which is fucking just weird. Um, criminals are using the technology to create, create images of celebrities who have been de-aged to depict them as children in sexual abuse scenarios. So, okay, there's... It seems to me like there's two strands to this. First, you've got the text-to-image generators, which if you're not, you know, technologically in the know, uh, we, a lot of people have become aware of these over the last year or so. These are the ones that we use to generate the images of Donald Trump. Uh, do you remember those? Where he was, like, on the run from the cops? This guy used mid-journey AI it's called, to generate these pictures of, like, Donald Trump. It looked like he was on the run and these cops were chasing him through New York. It looked really, really ultra-realistic. Um, anyway, so these sorts of text-to-image generators, and they're called that because you literally just type in what it is that you want to see and the style of image. Is it a photograph or a painting? How realistic is it? What kind of camera was it taken on? That sort of thing. Text-to-image, right? Not necessarily always mid-journey AI, like, there's a lot of different options out there, I'm sure. But these technologies, what this article is saying, these technologies are now being used to generate hugely problematic and possibly highly illegal content. That is the first strand. Text-to-image generators generating hugely problematic images. The second strand is the de-aging of celebrities. You know, taking a celebrity's face, de-aging them, which I sort of hope is not a crime. You know, using AI to de-age someone. Because look, like I, I have a confession to make, dear listeners. <laughs> I, allow me to confess. I'm just going to be completely open with you here. I have been writing a Python AI script to try and convert 2023 Eminem to being as good as he was when he was in his late 20s. But... You know, no. <laughs> obviously, obviously what we're talking about here is internet perverts taking a picture of, I don't know, Megan Fox. And, you know, how old is she now? Like 35, maybe something like that. And then de-aging her so that she looks 13 or something is what I'm gleaning from this thing. And then making that 13-year-old sprite, if that's even the right word, making it do God knows what you know in a, in a fake image and then sharing that on forums that is the second strand to this so text to image generation of child abuse images is the first one and then the de-aging images of actual people uh, so that then they are in child abuse images uh, that's the second strand right and the reason that i think that this is such a weird and and fascinating story to talk about well, maybe fascinating is the wrong word um, but it's going to pose some awkward questions, right? It's because it's like, like with the first strand, the text to image generation. There's a lot of inconvenient questions that we as a society are going to need to ask ourselves with this. Because like to date, the argument against online content besides like, I mean, you know, dodgy online content like kid porn that sort of stuff. The argument against that, other than it being warped, uh, disgusting, gross, jailable, uh, you pick the words, um, is that it's it's always been like, well, it, that's somebody's daughter on the picture, right? That could be somebody's son there. And by accessing or buying that image or that disgusting video, nonces are creating demand, which means somebody else's kid is going to get kidnapped or groomed or abused. And so if someone were to download that image, then they they should be prosecuted under child abuse legislation. That is the argument to date that is worked. And I think that stands fine. Like that, that holds water, if you like. Makes sense. And I suppose in a similar way, it's, you know, 
how we prosecute drug offenders for creating demand from traffickers who create demand from like cartels, right? Who occasionally feel the need to then slaughter entire villages of South American people, right? Like it all goes back and up the tree. And by buying those three grams for the party this weekend, you're pushing or contributing to that chain of events. And so there is a level of responsibility there and you should be prosecuted accordingly. No, you shouldn't be jailed for 30 years for having three grams of cocaine, but there should be some element of responsibility that by buying the coke, you have contributed to a chain of events that could result in a very bloody murder of an entire village of people. You just have to accept that. Interestingly, you know, maybe we should just pause for thought here a second. Interestingly, the government don't seem to adopt the same chain of events responsibility mindset when it comes to shoplifting, though, do they? <laughs> it's funny how they never take that that responsibility layer on there. You know, it's like it's like, oh, well, by docking everyone's benefits, you know, even those people in work, because a lot of people who are in work are still on benefits by allowing their bills to soar and rents to explode. You know, you're actually contributing to the chain of events that leads to them needing to steal food from Tesco. So perhaps you should be prosecuted for your role in that, Mr. Sunak. Perhaps you have an element of responsibility here, Tarquin. Uh, nope. No, 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 no. I, I can see what you're saying. I can see why you might think that, but, but just, um, uh, no. <laughs> So, so it doesn't all just, you know, start with your callousness and and murderous classism. No, 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 no. no. It's just that these people stealing, stealing the bread over there, these people are morally bankrupt. All oh, right. OK. Well, I'm glad that we cleared that up. Mr. Defund the NHS. This is always nice to take a lesson in morality from the no free school meals brigade. Anyway, I digress. Always. Um... So the argument is, or has always been, right, that by by raging nonceburgers accessing images of child abuse, that they would be contributing to further behaviours, right, that would then make that stuff happen again and again. But the thing with this is, with the text-to-image thing, is that it's not a real person, right? And obviously it's hugely problematic and disgusting and I personally would much, much rather it didn't exist and that the people who were drawn to this sort of stuff got help or were treated in some way or jailed in extreme cases. But just legally speaking, it's a weird area to be in, isn't it? It's like, it's like is it still prosecutable? under child abuse legislation if it is a purely computer-generated image, you know? I, I honestly don't know. And the second thing is, like, if we assume, as we probably should, that these images are illegal, that even though it is a made-up human being in them, that the crime on the picture never existed, but that you know, images like this normalise that sort of behaviour. If we assume that that is the case, that just the image itself, that somebody seeing that, it normalises that behaviour and then societally it normalises it, you know? Which I think I think that point is worth considering, you know? Like, what does it do to a society, to Western culture, if a society that already has a huge problem with the sexualization of children, with a low prosecution rate, with trafficking. Like, what does it do to a society if the sort of images that used to be confined to heavily surveilled corners of the internet are now freely generatable by any fucking pervert with a router and a VPN? You know, like, does it normalise it? And so then does that manifest as a higher rate of actual child abuse taking place? I honestly don't know. I'd imagine it would, you know, but then in the same breath, I can totally imagine studies coming out that would suggest paedophiles know that they're sick in the head, right? They know that they've got bad wiring. They don't want to be nonceburgers and actually having technology that allows them to, you know, albeit disgustingly, s service their bad wiring without hurting anyone actually in reality 
like it might allow them to live a semi semi normal life you know where perhaps historically that might have they they might have committed heinous crimes you know god that sounds hugely problematic doesn't it but these are these are the awkward fucking questions that this sort of technology and this timeline that we're in are going to raise at what point does something like this become an actual crime that you can prosecute if the people within the image or the video never existed. Because it wasn't that long ago. When we were talking, it was on a different episode, obviously. Um, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about, like, the mid-journey stuff on here. Um, I did a show probably a couple of months ago where I was saying how, how fucked up everything's going to get. When people generate images of Biden burning a US flag and he'd be like wearing goat's legs and he'd be drenched in virgin blood or something. And like Biden's not even going to be able to remember whether it happened or not because he's a doddery old bastard who should be in a nursing home. But it's going to be like a political era of, of not knowing if images are real. You know, it's in the newspaper, but did it actually happen? You know, and and of real images that should get someone in a lot of trouble will be able to be dismissed as deep fakes. You're going to get Trump up behind a podium going like, I know, I know the photograph looks damning. <laughs> I know that there's a subset of the American people who will really not appreciate this image of me sniffing coke off the vice president's titties. But just hear me out. Hear me out. It, it was a deep fake. It's, it's fake news, you know? That is what I thought was the sort of situation that this technology was going to get us in, you know? That's the kind of scenario I imagined that deep fake tech, AI, images and so on were going to get us into and, it, and that it would raise awkward questions about, you know? Like, what even is the truth anymore when reality can be dismissed as fake news and deep fakes will be taken as gospel? Both sides of the coin will be amplified by echo chambers and blasted out by hugely biased cable networks. Like, politics is going to be insane, I thought. And now I'm looking at this shit. The AI-generated child abuse images and... I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking at this shit. <laughs> I'm not literally looking. I mean, you know, the news story is not... That's not really my bag. Dear listeners, I can happily confirm I have absolutely zero interest in seeing any of that shit. Um, tattooed brunettes in their mid to late 20s. Now we're talking, but. <laughs> Maybe I'll de-age share back to age 29 or so. Anyway, thinking out loud again, get myself in trouble. Uh, but yeah, anyway, now I'm seeing this sort of story bubble up now i'm like christ this is weird this is weirder than the stuff that i thought ai was gonna get us into that was gonna be weird you know i mean like let's let's say for a second that it is a crime that made up images are prosecutable because they normalize a culture where child abuse is acceptable let's say that we all agree that that should be a crime which is fine you know i think i think i would be on board with that but how do you even prosecute that crime like who are you charging are you charging the guys who coded the original text to image generator you know is it the programmer's fault or uh or should they have nuked certain words from the prompt so you can't tell it to generate certain things like and, and which words, which words would you remove? And how many pseudonyms or thesaurusy words could they get around that? You know. What are you actually going to charge them with? Like, what if they're in a different jurisdiction? Like the Internet is so famously geographically fucked. It's like you can access a text to image thing here. And it's the programmer who was based in what, like Switzerland or something, but the, the servers are based in Antarctica or, you know, how do you actually like whose jurisdiction is it and who do you prosecute?
Anyway, let's let's move on. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, though, dear listeners, about that. Um, let's talk a little bit just for a moment about Israel Gaza. Obviously, it's a huge story. It's continuing. It's reverberating every day. Some of the stories that are coming out are just absolutely harrowing. Um, the last stats I saw uh, were it was about 7,000 dead. It's probably gone up since then. I don't think the bombing campaign and the ground invasion have uh, rolled back. I've certainly not heard any talk of an actual ceasefire being agreed. So I'll, I'll estimate now it's probably about eight or 9,000. Um, and I think I said this last week on the show, but we're now at the point, because it's such a small sp- space of land, the population is only 2 million. We're now at the point where everyone in Gaza will probably know someone who has been killed and if not killed, then maimed, and if not killed or maimed, then had their house completely blown to pieces. And the short-termism that is on display with that is just out of this world. This idea that you can bomb and kill civilians in the thousands, not even like just, you know, young men who might get mistaken as being a member of Hamas or a terror cell or something. Like, it's people's kids people's mothers grandmothers who were in hospitals just blown to be the idea that you could do something like that in the thousands and not radicalize another generation of young men to go out and be suicide bombers travel to london travel to the u.s hijack planes is just lunacy keir starmer seems to be taking the brunt of the political pressure back here in the UK. Every single day, turn on the radio, flip through Twitter, go through the broadsheets, every day. It's like Keir Starmer is still not pushing for a ceasefire. Keir Starmer fails to say that he would agree to a ceasefire if blah, blah, blah. Keir Starmer this, Keir Starmer that. What would Keir Starmer do? It's like, can we just ask the fucking Prime Minister? Where is he? Why is nobody asking Sunak? How come Sunak is out here on Twitter going like, and uh, make sure you check out my exclusive interview with Elon Musk? Like, oh my God. Is there anything massive and geopolitically calamitous that you should be addressing or getting involved in here, Rishi? Do you think? Anything a little bit more urgent than sitting down for a nice cuppa with Elmo? Make sure you... Tune in on Wednesday night for my exclusive interview with Elon Musk. Oh my, are you, is this GB News? Have you, have you you leapfrogged getting booted out of the general election and you've gone straight to being a shit TV presenter? Happens earlier every year. Boris Johnson's just announced his new GB News show. Um, Super Tansky called this the other day. Like, what was it she said? Made me lol. Um, she said, like, GB News is, like, where people, where where politicians or where, like, political careers go to die. And uh, then she referred to it as, like, indignitas. <laughs> uh, which, to be fair, credit where it's due, uh, she did then say, look, I did pinch that off Armando Iannucci. Um I was like, well, fair enough. Um, it's very good, though. Um, but, yeah, everyone's pushing Keir Starmer for what he would do. And it kind of got me thinking, it was like, you know, I suffer from imposter syndrome at the best of times. I really do. Like, I've been programming for almost a decade now. And yet still, you know, I've got two front-end developers and one junior front-end developer who work for me. I allocate work to others. I code up in my spare time. I run my own side project thing. Um, I've been, like, I know how to code front-end develop, like, websites and so on. I know what I'm doing. But yet, every single stand-up, Every single strategy meeting or project planning session, I, oh, I'm riddled with insecurity. The imposter syndrome is real. I never feel like I always whenever I go into any meeting or we discuss any like syntax or new versioning or, or whatever it is that we're working on at the, that moment. I always feel like you you people are real people. I'm, I'm not a real person. I'm not. A, oh, my God, I'm going to get found out one day. You know what I mean? Proper imposter syndrome. I can't imagine how Keir Starmer feels. Can you imagine how underqualified and overhyped 
he must feel when people are going like, would you, would you call for a ceasefire, Keir? Would you call, what, what's your thoughts on a ceasefire? What would you do? Why aren't you telling them to stop bombing, Keir? You know, like constantly just getting up in his grill about it when he's only the leader of the opposition. And he's the leader of the opposition of a cut adrift Britain who don't really have any world influence any longer. We're not at the head table of the EU. We're a tiny island wilting on the world stage. And everyone's like, when is Starmer going to fix this? <laughs> like, if I was Keir Starmer, I would be like, well, did, I didn't, is, it, is it possible I'm not qualified for this? You know, I got myself into trouble talking about Gaza um, and Israel yesterday, actually. I put, I put up a TikTok. It was just like one of my um, alternative paper reviews where I take whatever's in the headlines, I riff on it, I roast it a little bit. Um, and uh, and I talked, you know, I thought reasonably courteously about the situation over there. And I said, I made some reference to the fact that um, uh, that relations hadn't improved massively over the last 20 years. But the, like my sense, my perspective of... Uh, uh, of things like since 9-11 was that there is a muslim world um and that they a lot of muslims feel very aggrieved of uh, america and the uk's constant propping up of israel constant backing of israel with israel building on land that they shouldn't um persecuting oppressing muslims um and i said that although relations hadn't gotten better over the last 10 or 20 years um there was still room there too improve relations we could have used it as a starting block and and things may might have settled down. and basically what i said was this was that by launching into this bombing campaign by carpet bombing and turning gaza into a massive car park and you know radicalizing all these thousands of families there what they've done is they've set the clock back of any potential peace in the middle east by about another 40 or 50 years because it's going to take that long for people who've lost relatives sons daughters siblings to calm the fuck down from this if if they ever could do you know what i mean and i said you know a lot of the problems between the muslim world and the judeo-christian world if you just settle it down a little bit like a lot of the ill feeling and hate and murder and oppression goes all the way back to biblical times and the crusades and i i said all of this on the tiktok i said like you know i'm not an expert on any of this and I joked, I said, like, you know, I'm just a white guy from the south of England. So here's my opinions anyway. Right. I've made light of the fact that I don't know everything about this, but I contextualized it and said, you know, there's a lot of ill will and hate and, and so on. But I said that you can actually overcome a lot of that by education and diplomacy. And do you know what? I stand by that because you can. You know, you just it takes diplomacy. You have to diplomatically talk to one another, conduct trade. You have to very, very carefully and gently, measuredly integrate populations over decades so they can learn to accept and hopefully one day love each other through diplomacy, but also through education. If you look at places like Iran and Afghanistan and um probably Gaza as well and like all of these countries in the 60s and 70s like they were they were thriving like they had freedoms maybe not exactly like the western world but they did have free if you look at old pictures photographs of people in Iran in the 70s you wouldn't believe it and so through education through investing in universities through giving people disciplines and industries to work in you can they will start to sort of dissociate themselves from some of the more, you know, ideological um, uh, bents of of that society. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. I'm just saying that is a route out of the division and tribalism and violence that you tend to see. Anyway, look, I did this TikTok and somebody utterly floored me by commenting, saying, like, this is mad Islamophobic. I was like, what? And then in another, in on, on a tweet thread that I was talking about, somebody accused me of being like, like, I don't even know what the word is, Judeophobic or something, anti-Semitic, I guess. Um, and I'm like, this is so weird because I'm 
I think I'm sort of walking the line in the middle of these two things. Like, I think it's disgusting that Israel continued to build into land that they shouldn't. But equally, I think Hamas are disgusting for bombing and kidnapping and doing God knows what to all those Israeli kids at the music festival. Like, both of these things are terrible, but people who cheer on either side are both like, you're being Islamophobic. No, you're being anti-Semitic. It's like, oh my God, I'm just not going to fucking talk about it. It's so icky. Anyway, what else is in the news? Braverman, Suella Braverman, talking it up, talking herself up last couple of days. She's rather clumsily described the Free Palestine and Support for Palestine marches as hate marches. And uh, this comes, what, two or three weeks after she said that um, waving a Palestinian flag, you know, that could get you arrested. Um... The most recent addition to that was yesterday when she said uh, she said that these these marches, these protests are operating deliberately just below the criminal threshold. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're operating in very offensive marches, these hate marches. And I'll tell you what they're doing. They're operating just or oh, just sneakily, deliberately beneath the criminal threshold where we could charge them and haul them off in a blacked out transit. Just below the criminal threat. Just just take that in for a second. The Home Secretary is disparaging protesters exercising their freedom of speech because she says they are operating deliberately just beneath the criminal threat. Oh, okay, so they're not breaking the law then. Is that what you're saying? They're operating just beneath the criminal threat. Oh, so, so your problem is that you want to be able to jail people who obey the law now. Right, okay. Being Home Secretary and managing legal and judicial and the police and law enforcement and fighting crime, that's not enough. I mean, it, it seems to me like you're already overwhelmed with that lot, but fine. Now you want to branch out into people who obey the law too. Okay. This makes perfect sense, Sue. I mean, look. It is not unreasonable. It's not ridiculous to be worried, to be concerned at the sight or the reports that there are large groups of young men going down Whitehall with flags shouting about jihad. That is not ridiculous to be worried. I'm worried if people are saying, oh, look, all these guys down the, the mall shouting how they want jihad and jihad this and bring jihad on and all that. That's fine to be. I would be worried if I saw that or heard that. That's not ridiculous. Ridiculous is putting Suella Braverman in charge of, like, trying to manage that situation. Ridiculous is putting Braverman in to chair the Cobra meeting. Suella Braverman, who only got that job. She's only Home Secretary because that's what it took to placate the ERG when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. He was like, I've, I have to have an ERG type within, you know, the great offices of state. Uh, God, oh, that means I've got to have fucking Suella Braverman. Like, they were his reported words when he was told of the makeup of his cabinet. You're going to have to hire Suella. Otherwise, the ERG will rip you apart. Your premiership will be over before it even fucking begun. Oh, God, I've, I've got to have Suella then. Oh, bollocks. And so that's why she's got that job. Not because she's amazing at law enforcement, not because she understands the machinations of the Secretary of, uh, sorry, the Ministry of Home Affairs. Absolutely not. Not because she's competent, not because she obeys the law. She breaks it at will. Speeding fines, asking civil servants to try and arrange for like secret, like private speeding awareness courses so she's not embarrassed or doesn't have to sit with the general public. Breaking international law when it's in a limited and specific way. All of that stuff. She was just given that role to keep the ERG sweet. That's it. And that is now who we have at the helm deciding what does or does not constitute law-breaking behaviour by protesters waving flags that, let's be real, if they were waving Union Jacks, <laughs> she'd be cheering them on. She'd be like, the right to freedom of expression has to trump the right to offence. All right, okay. So I can I can wave my flag. 
wherever I like. Absolutely. White people have nothing to be ashamed about. Right. OK, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm white and I'm I'm waving my my flag. So I'm, I'm good. I, I can just do this wherever I like. Absolutely. OK, well, here's my flag. Oh, no, no, that, that's the wrong flag. Right. You're going to jail, mister. Just the self-awareness of a ZX Spectrum. And, you know, I made a mention a second ago about, you know, it's not enough that her remit covers people who, you know, break the law and do this and do that. Now she wants to branch out into people who don't break the law when, you know, the former appears to be so overwhelming for it. But it, honestly, it is like if you actually look through what her brief is, what her successes have been. I mean, it's it's she's been pretty shit let's just be real about it you know like cybercrime has exploded on her watch the police you know the reputation of the police has just gone through the floor i mean let's you know keep it 100 percent honest it was never amazing was it the police have a very difficult job to do but they also do it incredibly badly but it's got their reputation has gotten worse on her watch and she effectively over it's her oversight right of the police. Everything within her brief has just sort of, you know, crumbled and crumbled while she's like, what, clamoring through a Rolodex of culture war issues and talking like sound bites and stuff, desperate to find something to distract people with. And then she's up behind a podium like, yeah, gays, gays won't be able to claim asylum anymore. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that, Guardian? Like, oh, God. Can you, can you just try and do your job, please? Like, I looked up... Um, I looked up the stats earlier for, uh, uh, like, organised crime. Because I was like, I don't think people are getting mugged, you know, or burgled more, necessarily. Maybe, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out my ass, But, I, like, it doesn't feel like crime has exploded just, like, out in the street. Or people getting you know, mugged, but organised crime, I could imagine, will have exploded. And did you know, like, I thought, like, what's the most common, you know, sort of mafia, organised crime, you know, mob-like kind of offence? What's the most common one of the... And I was like, extortion, probably, isn't it? Like, when you think of those, like, movies like Goodfellas, um, Donnie Brasco, like, a big revenue earner for the New York mafia was just extortion. You know, you just knock on a local business and you say, yeah, I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm in protection. And then you're like, oh, I don't really need any protection. Well, you do you do because this this area is uh, could get kind of rough. You're like, well, you know, it's, it's been OK. Thanks. OK, well, you pay us a thousand dollars a month and, uh, you know, nothing will happen. You're like, well, nothing's happened to date. So and I've got insurance and I've, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just leave it there. And then uh, that night. Your shop gets beaten, smashed in and mugged and everything stolen. And then the next day they go, we're trying to tell you, you know, it's extortion. Like they're basically threatening you. They say, pay us a thousand dollars a month and we won't smash your fucking face in. Like that sort of thing. Extortion. I wonder what has happened with extortion in the last like few years. And, you know, I looked at it like it's on um, Statista is this uh, this website. It's fucking, it's almost doubled in the last year alone. It's gone up to like, there's 35,000 cases of it uh, from 22 to 23. The year before it was 22,000. The year before that, it's 15,000. So it's doubled since 2020, since the pandemic. It's insane. So what has she done about that? What's she done about cybercrime? What's she done about... Like any any of the issues that she's actually in charge with. I've got to stop the boats. Got to stop these asylum seekers. It's not the asylum seekers that are holding people up. Smashing their shops in. Blackmailing them. But yeah, every time. Just runs to the nearest culture war issue or soundbite. I, I don't believe in institutional racism. and You shouldn't either, you bloody tofu-eating wokarate. You know, everything that is her actual job is in tatters, is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and now, with this stuff, with the Palestine marches, 
and potential terror threat, she's like, no, oh, stand back, guys. I've got this. Like, what What are the chances that you actually do have this, Sue? What? What are the chances? When you look at your track record, have you stopped the boats? No. Uh, what's organised crime looking like? Oh, pretty fucking terrible. Uh, what's the reputation of the police force now? A absolutely fucking dire. Oh, I, I think I could do this one. Right, okay. Well, uh, I mean, there's, there's probably a 10% chance you're going to be successful at this. Yeah, it's fine. You know what it's like? It's like... It's like a terminally ill teenager has asked to become the Home Secretary as part of, like, the Make-A-Wish Foundation or something like... And everyone's like, yeah, okay... All right, in, in you come, Timmy. Yeah, this is your desk. You sit there and, you, you know, it's like everyone's just being nice and letting her pretend that she's the home secretary and just sort of get on with it. You know, well, she's like a competition winner, you know, she's just she gets to pretend to be the home secretary. I mean, she's fucking everything up. But everyone's like, oh, well, it's not forever. You know, she should be out soon. How much damage can she do in the next year or so? Anyway, guys, I think that's enough for now. Um, I need to go. I've got to take uh, got to take the missus into hospital. It's her turn to be sick um, at the moment. In fact, she is sick right now because I selflessly uh, took the head, head cold, cough cold thing that I had on Friday and I selflessly shared it with her and my children. Um, I was very much patient zero in our little happy home and now she's completely laid out. But also, you know, just to, to double up on the fun... She has a hospital appointment today where they're going to shove this camera down her throat and look at a polyp. So that's fun, isn't it? What a fun little Tuesday afternoon date that we've got going on. Um, that's it from me, though. I'm going to run. Thank you so, so much for continuing to listen. Um, I hope you're enjoying these shows. Do check out the punk politics videos that I'm putting together on YouTube. Um, I'm having a lot of fun making those also. And I hope to see as many of you as possible at the uh, live show on Friday, the 10th of November. That's me, Danny Price, Super Tansky, Marina Perkis, Dane Baptiste, James Benison. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Who am I forgetting? Whoever it is is going to go like, I listened to your podcast. You didn't say my name. You forgot me, you fucking prick. Um, anyway, without further ado, uh, big shouts to my Patreon backers. Bowman, Kai, Chris D, David Voice, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian, uh, Oliver Stevens, Peter Del Monte, Pingu, Silent, Stuart Chessmar, T-Rex, Aaron, Alex, Alex Tooth, uh, Jeff McGow, Mark Harris, Ned, Ricardo, Sarah, Simon, Aaron. Uh, another Aaron, um, Ailsa, Anthony, Chris, Eddie, Fat Shirley, Joseph, Lorna, Malcolm, Paul, Rax, Rodri, Damon, Kerry and Raphael. Thank you so, so much, guys. Uh, until next time, keep, uh, take care of yourselves. Stay booge. Keep it strictly hashtag Benfluencer. And I'm out this motherfucker. <laughs>